forget about everything you saw on a river runs through it, and let's just get this fly into the zone and focus on these fish. No one's going to be videotaping your back cast or looking at your loop here. My buddy always tells me, sloppy cast catch fish too, and that's true. I never had a trout come out of the net and tell me my cast was terrible. Welcome to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, a look behind the scenes of the fly fishing world, featuring insight from guides and gear reps, conversation with resort managers, thoughts on entomology, discussions on fly patterns and destinations, and plenty of fish stories. Most importantly, it's an exploration of this lifelong journey we call fly fishing. Here is your host, Mark Hopley, with this episode of Fly Fishing 97. Welcome to this edition of Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Uh, today we've got from Deep Creek Outfitters, uh, pro staff, sales representative, known as TNT, or Terrence Tanucci. Terrence, how are you today? I'm doing great, man. How you doing? I'm not bad. Where are you right now? I'm in Crestline, California, up near Big Bear, California. We're about an hour out of L.A., up in the mountains at about uh, 6,000 feet. Let me ask you this. What'd you get up to today? Were you doing a little fly fishing up high there? Yeah, we were actually on Deep Creek today with a couple clients, uh, me and another guide, and uh, catching some wild wild fish on three weights. Wow. How'd it go? It was great. One of them was a first-timer, and one was an old 70-year-old guy who hadn't fished in, you know, 20 years or something like that. He was, he was an avid fly fisherman at one point. And his son-in-law had, you know, urged him to book with me after seeing something on the internet, or I don't, I don't even know how they heard about me. Actually, they uh, they wanted to book and they wanted to reintroduce the old man and introduce the young man. That's awesome. So, so, were you doing some dry fly fishing, or what were you up to? Yeah, we we have to off-road in there. It's an OHV trail, like a Jeep trail. We have to get in about forty-five minutes, and then when we get to the hole, um, yeah, we we start off. There's a big kind of pond. And we dry fly fish um, in the morning, you know, when that's happening. And then we cross over to, we hike downstream with the dry fly, actually, opposite of most people are hiking upstream as they dry fly fish. And we have a lot of boulders, so we dry fly down. And our fish are unorthodox. They like skipping flies and not dead drifted drives. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. So what were you, what were you into today? Some some wild rainbows or? Some... Yeah, mostly wild rainbows. Um, and there hasn't been brown trout in the section since 2005. Um, I've been living up here and fishing the creek for 10 years, and we got a couple good seasons. And the brown trout are starting to come back. So we have wild brown, and we're catching a few of them once in a while. There's you know, over 16 to 20 inches, but most of them are, yeah, wild around 10 inches. That sounds like lots of fun. Pretty, pretty fish. Beautiful par markings. The rainbows have, you know, lateral par markings and white tip, orange tip fins, and the browns, big old uh, red spots on them, and orange adipose, a beautiful wild fish. Well, that sounds awesome. Hey, uh, so Terrence, I, w- I want to start kind of back where it all began for you. Maybe tell me a little bit how you got into fly fishing, a little bit about your uh, fishing history, if you will. I actually grew up um, not in a fly fishing family. Um, I grew up with bait fishermen and lure fishermen. And when I was about nine years old, I was gifted a fly rod set up and a, a wicker creel and some hip waders, my family friend. And so uh, when all the old folk were tired and at the cabin, we, you know, we go to the mountains a lot in the Sierras. I was able to go out with my fly rod during the afternoons when the fishing was dead on the lake, you know. 
so they say. And I'd, I'd get to go up into Robinson Creek, up into Bridgeport, California, and that's kind of where I fell in love with it. They have kokanee salmon um, and, you know, brown trout. And, they're, you know, there's black, black bears eating the trout and bald eagles picking the, the salmon up. And it's just a, a really good spot to kind of grow up and, and learn all that stuff from. You know, golden trout, brook trout, just everything is real close to right there, and um, I just fell in love with it, man. Sounds like a sounds like a little slice of heaven. Yeah, yeah. The the Sierras have kind of kept me away from traveling around the world, and even now that I, you know, I can set you up to peacock bass in the Amazon, or set you up in New Zealand on browns, and I just can't steal away from the local stuff. I love it, man. How long you been with Deep Creek Outfitters? Um, we're about four years old. I started it about four years ago. One of the youngest guide company outfitter owners in California down here. There's lots of guides that are kids and stuff, but I'm the youngest to actually start a company. And it's it's tough. We don't have a lot of fishing and there's only so much room and so many shops, you know. What made you take that leap? Because there's a lot of faith involved when you make a move like that. Yeah, I, I always wanted to be a guide growing up as a kid, and um, I guess the fishing got, the reason I got into fly fishing was because I was plateauing with all the other things, and I felt like it was too easy, so I wanted something that was a little more, you know, involved and a little more scientific, and, you know, kind of, I guess, getting hooked and getting up to that point, I just felt real comfortable and got confidence on my local waters, and we have small creeks. So I wanted to share that with, I wanted to share what I'm experiencing and what I'm feeling, the healing of the, the stream with my friends, but there's only so much room, you know, you can't stand shoulder to shoulder. Right. So I started drinking a beer and, you know, talking to buddy through the motions and I decided I really wanted to do it, you know. You know, you're striking at something, that my, you know, fond of in my heart, and that's small stream, small creek kind of fly fishing, because it, it's really intimate, and I think a lot of people that maybe haven't experienced it, yeah, the, the fish maybe aren't as big, but there's something really special about that water. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, uh, you've never bow an arrow cast through a thicket of willows or spruce, like, just overgrown stuff is complicated. It's hard. And if you step on a stick wrong, that hole's blown, and you better keep hiking. And so the approach, the tactical approach, you need to think about it. And sometimes I see a fish in there, and I'll fish for a fish that sits in there for years. And I'll fish him every angle, every way. And so when we, I mean, you think wild fish are going to be small, but recently we've been getting into fish. When you're hitting these wild fish over 18 inches and 20 inches on a three-way, it's a battle. These things are going crazy, and we're we're fishing size ten midges. Wow. Or you know, most of the fish are like eight to ten inches, so it's kind of crazy. But um, yeah, we're using these big stone flies and big midges, and they're, they they produce. Yeah, I believe it. You probably got some holes or maybe some cut banks or you get into some wood. I, I would imagine you get into some pretty decent fish. Well, this is the tough part. If you know about California, four years ago, I started a guide business in an absolute drought. So we're looking at topographic maps, trying to find water to places, off-roading, hiking, getting there, and this bone dry. Wow. So there's a lot of reconnaissance, and we don't have a lot of water, man. So it's really it's real tough in that aspect, and people think that it doesn't even exist, and they really don't have any idea. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. So so tell me a little bit about the range that you're, you're guiding in, Is it mostly in the Sierras. Um, we start, I'm, I'm down here, like I said, I'm like an, an hour and a half from LA, maybe two hours from San Diego area. And I'm right in the San Bernardino mountains as you cross up towards the 15, 
you know, Death Valley and the Lucerne Valley and the Mojave Desert. So that runs on the east side, right behind me, real close. Uh, two and a half hours away, I can get to the Kern River. And the Kern splits the east and western Sierra on the southernmost tip. We have uh, guides and range into the eastern Sierra around um, Crowley Lake, right. uh, Mono Lake, Mono Basin, and then uh, up into Bridgeport and the Truckee and Tahoe area. So as I've been meeting these kids along the way, you know, we, we work together and some of our students and we all kind of move away and we're kind of covering four points at this point. Not quite Northern California, but Central California down to Southern California covered and then the East and West sides of the Sierra as well. Wow. So we're, there's a lot of water and, and then we have the ocean there as well. So we're doing a lot of salt stuff too and, and uh, halibut, calico, yellowtail are right there. We're doing that on the fly. So that sounds like some crazy diverse fishing. Right. Well, I, I can snowboard, surf, and fly fish in the same day. <laughs> So oh, we it. have all, we have all that here, you know, off road the desert, doing all that stuff. When we go and fish Deep Creek, you start off in the pines and you end down in the desert, and there's like hot hot springs and all this stuff. It's it's real diverse. You spend a lot of time on the Truckee River. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's our beautiful waterway that's dumping all the gorgeous water into Pyramid Lake, where we catch the big uh, cutthroat. You got to tell me a little bit about Pyramid Lake, like uh, for folks that haven't been there. What, what? Tell me about that experience. Man, I heard about it only a few years ago. I'm kind of new in the game, and I was seeing these pictures of these monster fish, and I just I could not believe it. You know, um, I thought it was in New Zealand or another country. You know, this guy C.J. Padilla. He was at the time he was a spin fisherman, and he was in a float tube. And I say, man, if I the spin fishermen will spill their gut. They're not like fly guys. So this guy shares some intel with me. He tells me what kind of rig, what pound line to use and stuff. So I'm like, no way. And he's like, yeah, sometimes we use pearl feeder. These fish are giants. We're using 20-pound fins. So this is a giant, giant ocean of a lake. It's alkaline water. So it's out in the desert by where they have Burning Man out there in Nevada. And all the water that dumps into it is pretty much from the Truckee River dumping out of Tahoe. At some point... Back in the day, during the gold rush, they, like, cleaned the lake out. They were taking tons of cutthroat trout out of netting them to feed all these miners and stuff. So uh, it kind of got, it kind of got, like, depleted, I guess. And they started, they found, they found some genetics of, of some pure Lahotan cutthroat trout are close enough to it and a couple strains of them and started filling all the lakes. And the state was doing it. And that's a, on an Indian reservation, that lake itself. Right. So they also have their own hatcheries there, and they also started hat, um, hatching those fish and sending them down to Crowley and into the Sierras because that was our actual indigenous species. Right. Right. All the rainbows, everything else was all introduced later on. So, so these they're big... trying to electroshock, clean out all the brooks, clean out all the browns, and put these cutthroat in everywhere. So these big cutties, Terrence... Uh, from what I hear, you guys are fishing. Basically, you're fishing from the shore or from ladders. Is that correct? Yeah, it's it's long, um, shallow sand beaches with huge shelf dropouts, and then there's also rocks. And we can go off a of rock sometimes in the deep uh, areas on the lake. There's all kinds of different beaches that have different names, and they all have different terrain themselves. Some of them are sandy, some of them are points, some of them are rocky drop offs, and uh, 
these fish that we catch in there, we, we mostly fish like eight weights and uh, fishing full sink and getting it down or like an indicator set up on a seven way. Um, and, you know, the, the cutthroat in there, I mean, my personal best is 17 and a half pounds. Wow. But most, most of the guys I hang out with have caught like 22 pound trout out of there. And That's... they've done it multiple times. It's not a fluke, you know. What we do with the chair stands on some of the beaches that are shallow, some people will bring out a six-foot ladder, and you put it in about three steps, and then you climb up on it, and it gives you a good vantage point, kind of like flats fishing. And um, it lets you spot fish, but it also keeps you up out of the water. And it's like a bullhorn, but you lean towards the ladder and fish off of it. It allows you to keep your line up higher up of the beaches that are behind you. Um, that have dunes, so you don't slap your line and grind down your flies. So, so this is a strategic uh, thing with the ladders. I just always assumed that maybe you couldn't take a boat out there. No, there's boats. I mean, those, they're catching 50 cutthroat over three pounds, uh, 120 feet down. Wow! From a boat, you know, those, they, they they use a lot of spoons and other stuff that's not fly fishing to do that. But when we go out there, um, we I, I bring the chair these days. My buddy welds these custom chairs and they have steps up the front of them and then on the top it has a swiveling hunter's chair right and a couple cup holders for your beer you know <laughs> and uh we sit up there we put you put a big you know boat net right there on the chair and use it as a stripping basket and you can sit down right there and fish for 12 hours a day chucking meat out there and um it's like 60 foot drop off so we have to wait about two minutes for it to sink to the bottom and then when it gets to the bottom, we strip it back in, and it's a. Uh, you've never been pulled out and deer dragging, drag and backing by a salmon or a tarpon or yellowtail or tuna or something. It's like, it's like that. They go on big long runs, and then when they get to the net, they're pissed. But a lot of them we catch right at our feet. So Terrence, are these fish um, feeding on shiners too, or minnows of some type? Yeah, most of our waterways have Sacramento perch, tui chubs. And then there will be, you know, sculpin scattered through some of them. Okay. But, yeah, that's kind of like our shad, basically. We use a lot of tui-chub and perch. So what about, what about indicator fishing? Are you fishing leeches? Are you fishing chronomids? What, what are you doing with those indicators? Yeah, uh, balance mohair leeches on the indicator. Um, I don't do too much of that. I do more making fun of people with the indicator. But, I mean, that's some of the biggest fish are caught with indicators. And the trick with that is, when the waves pick up, because you're fishing out in this ladder, okay, it's also better to be fishing because you need to get your line out there. You need to be out there. So when you're in the ladder and there's, you know, four-foot breakers coming in, 60-mile winds, like, it's it's pretty bad. We got 60-mile-an-hour winds. I don't know if that is in kilometers to you guys, but that's just dangerous. Absolutely. Um, so basically when you get an indicator and it, it's really breaking like that, white cap, you can surf the indicators across waves and pick up some monster fish like that. Wow. And you can walk it down the beach riding on the wave, you know what I mean? That sounds amazing. Hey, let me ask you, who's, who's the most influential person in your fly fishing that you've learned from over the years? I'd have to say uh, Doug Olette or Tom Lowe. That's a tough one. You don't have to pick, man. Just just uh, tell, tell me kind of what they've, what you learn from those guys. They're just, I mean, the... The midging and indicator fishing, stillwater midging was developed on like Crowley Lake out by us, by these guys. 
these are the first guys to ever do that. Where they bought it from or who came up with it, I don't know. But the first time I heard about indicators and using forceps to drop your flies down to the bottom so that you could keep your flies up so you can gauge the depth of the lake and then pull it up and raise it into the strike zone or the hatch zone of the midges. Just the techniques and the innovation that these guys come up and their, their patterns. Like Tom Lowe's flies, absolutely incredible in the Sierra. Every one of his flies is amazing. The assassins that he does, uh, the punk perch, the agent orange, all the gilly chrominids that he does are just killers, you know? And you, you got to have them, you know? You try to tie them, but they're never the same. You do a and, lot of uh, you do a lot of tying yes, yourself. Uh, it's endless, man. The tying never ends. It never ends. I have I have tires. We do international stuff and have it outsourced, and we have multiple guys in state, you know, doing it. But I can never keep up with that as far as the seasons and you know your buddy's going on this trip over to here, and they need this and that and the guiding, keeping up with all that. What do you so, like to What do you like um, to tie on at home, Terrence? What What, what kind of vice are you using? Oh, I, I tie on a $40 vise, and I make a peace sign for a whip finisher. I'm really rustic, old-school dude. I like feathers and furs more than synthetics. I'm known for my big, six-inch articulated uh, rainbows with drop-jaw heads. I, I tie some $20 flies that I sell a lot of, and I stay busy tying those. But I'm old-school. I like caddis, hair's ears, pheasant tails, simple, old-school, traditional patterns, stimulators. Healthcare caddis, just easy, simple stuff. And some of this stuff is getting away from the fly fishing and the fly tying and too much about buying it all and selling it all. You sound like a guy that's pretty uh, pretty into the roots of the sport. I've been, I've been in the game for a long time. It's great to see fly fishing growing, but I was doing this before a river runs through it was filmed, you know what I mean? I do. It's amazing how things changed <laughs> after that movie came out, though. I think it ruined fly fishing. Everybody's intimidated because they think they need to do this gnarly shadow cast or whatever he's got going on, you know? <laughs> they think it has to be this holy, sacred thing, and, and uh, they're intimidated by it because they captured the beauty and the essence, but, you yeah, know. I know what you mean. Like, you... I'm, I'm gonna... Go ahead, man. I just can't. I can't. I can't. That's like one of the things I tell people right away. Like, forget about everything you saw on a river runs through it, and let's just get this fly into the zone and focus on these fish. No one's going to be videotaping your back cast or looking at your loop here, you know? <laughs> I, lo- I love it, because I think sometimes we, we take it too serious. Hey, guess what? My buddy always tells me, sloppy cast catch fish too, and that's true. I never had a trout come out of the net and tell me my cast was terrible. That's He had some good quotes, man. Hey, um... What do you, uh, what do you, like any, any crazy fishing stories? You, you've been on the water a lot, spent a lot of time over the years. Anything bizarre happened to you or, 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 you know, memorable that you might want to share? Yeah, I guess my, my favorite, uh, fishing story, it's not that bizarre either. When I'm fishing the creeks around here and I catch a fish, after I net it, sometimes I like to toss it up into the next pool, you know? Sometimes it's a, a big jump and maybe you can't get up there yet or, whatever maybe it's taking him out of his home but i like to toss my fish up into the next pool sometimes and release them there and uh one time i i toss a fish you know right right up over a rock into the river and i see it come back down and i'm like oh no i i hurt the fish you know i i thought maybe it had hit a rock or it got hurt 
And then I noticed that there's a snake holding this trout by the back of the head, and the snake's swimming. This uh, striped snake, yellow racer. And so he's holding this, it's like a 10-inch trout, and he's holding it by the back of the head, and he's swimming up towards the bank, keeping the fish up out of the air until it stopped breathing and flipping around, and then he gulped the thing down. And I stayed and watched it. I couldn't leave. And we filmed it as long as we could until the batteries died and stuff. But I basically stayed and watched this uh, snake digest this fish. And uh, I don't know, I just, it made me feel a little bit um, more one with, with the stream at that point, feeling like part of the food chain and witnessing some of that. Yeah. Like bear and salmon or a bald eagle and a salmon, the same thing. Yeah, kind of puts it in perspective. Seeing it all go down the same way. The same way that a trout eats a bug or any of that stuff, to me, it's going to be magical every time. That's what keeps me coming back. Yeah, for sure, man. Hey, uh, if you could change one thing about our sport, what would it be? Oh, man. What, we're talking about fly fishing as a sport, huh? Yeah, I'm just saying, like, like if there's something you could change day-to-day fly fishing or whether it means uh, equipment or whether it's just the whole outlook on it, you know... Uh, what would you change? Um, I guess uh, more just just the uh, packaging and the waste. Uh, and uh, I'd, I'd like the, the industry leaders to fish more and be less about their pockets. That's good stuff. You know, you're, th- you're, you're thinking a, little, a lot differently than a lot of guys I talk to. I, I'm loving it. It's, it's, it's unique. Hey, um, so tell me a little bit about your company. We haven't even talked about Deep Creek Outfitters yet. So, I mean, I, I've seen some. So, tell me about the the relationship you have with Newcast. Uh, I I met Mike. He's he's now the owner of Newcast. I met him uh, guiding for him when I started Deep Creek Outfitters. I mean, yeah, I'm living my dream. I started the business. I got the BBA. I have my waders. I got my gear. Orbis helped me out through a lot of it. They really helped me out, put me on, set me all up with everything. Hutch and those guys over there were great. And the Orvis guy for California at the time was uh, Lee Fortune. And Lee Fortune was also a buddy with this guy, Mike, from Big Bear, that owns Big Bear uh, Fishing Adventures. So he started outsourcing work to me. So these guys are all kind of getting older and doing other things. And he had been out at the show selling the Newcast, and they had been doing that for like 10 years at that point. And I had never even heard of it. But I've always, you know, I've just been a simple guy. I don't have fancy gear. I've always just barely gotten by. Um, I believe I was running, like, Akuma gear and, like, TFO rods or so. Uh, you know, I was right at a, whatever cheapest I could get at a Bass Pro to keep me on the water I was using. So when I got all the Orvis stuff, I was like, yeah, I really like the Orvis. It's great. Great for the clients. It was a step up for me. Um, but Mike had introduced me to these custom seven foot three weights that he had um, that a guy was making in the garage and then he had the new cast reel on it and it's our synergy two reel. And so he goes, yeah, check it out, you know, take it, take it and go use it. And so he sent me out with them for the clients. And then after I guided that day, I went and fished with the gear and the reel has like amazing pickup on it. Right. I don't know if you have a synergy reel, but I do. If you've ever seen it at the, at the show or whatever, when you slap the thing, it can pick up 90 feet of line in one tap of the knob, you know? It's just, it's balanced perfectly, and I I fell in love with that. So he goes, you know, I'll give you that setup for 100 bucks or whatever, and then 
later on down the line. So he signed me up pro down the line. I started getting, you know, I need four of these three weights and seven foot. I need four and seven and a half foot. And then, you know, we started going to pyramids. So, of course, I need seven weights. What do you have in an eight weight? And he goes, I got this blue crush reel. It's six carbon on six stainless drag systems sealed, you know. So he goes, go ahead and try it out. You know, gives it to me to demo. And I take it out, and I fall in love with that. And so I had some big invoices from this guy. Every month I was owing this guy a lot of money because I liked the gear. <laughs> um, yeah. He was out on the road selling it, and then he comes back from one of the trips, and he goes, I just bought Newcast. I own Newcast now. And I go, wait a minute. So you're all along, all along, I've been never stepping over your toes and going to the owner of this company, and I always put all my orders through you. Never tried to meet the big wig at the end of the line. I just always dealt with Mike. And so he goes, now I own it. And I go, so you're the guy who's ass I get a kiss, you know? <laughs> and it, it just so happens we sit in the backyard, and he, you know, I'm like a retriever from the Yeti Forum for beers and stuff. We hang out and tell stories, so... He had the ability within the next couple months, I landed a really big deal. Um, we we have a theme park out here. It opened up a couple months before Disneyland. And it's it was called Santa's Village. And it's a 250-acre theme park in the National Forest. And this guy bought it and turned it into downhill mountain biking, rock climbing, ice skating. And he contacted me because he wants to put fly fishing on it. So he built... Here he had a lake on there, and he built more lakes and stream sections and put solar-powered pumps in it, and he's running trout in there. The wow. guy's crazy. I got him uh, an exclusive deal with Newcast, and the rest is history. I mean, I showed him that three-weight with the Synergy reel on it, and he's like, I want 15 of these, you know. So we started selling a lot to him, and then those guys approached me with the contract, said, hey, man, you're a good salesman. You talk it up. And I'm like, you know, it's easy because I love this stuff. Right? It's not really selling it, Terrence, okay. when you believe in it. It sells itself. If I can get it in your hands and show it to you yeah. and then tell you how much it costs, you're going to be sold right away. Either way, just with the, it's just a bonus that the stuff is affordable to, you know. And that's the thing. Our industry changing so much. The way I grew up with this, you had to be a country club member. You were driving a Jaguar and fly fishermen at bank because the bamboo rods were a thousand bucks. Yeah. And our economy was just so different in America. And these days, industry is booming. And, you know, I couldn't imagine if I had to go, if I was paying for sage rods, the addict you become as a fly fisherman, I, I would be like 20 grand in debt from rods at this point, this past couple years. I, I mean, that that's just ridiculous. I totally understand what you're saying. Like the one question I asked you earlier was what would you change in our sport? And you kind of in a roundabout way just answered it. You want to take kind of the elitism kind of, um, I mean, make it, make it popular. Make it available to everyone. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, I picked up, you actually sold me a new cast reel. I couldn't even tell you what it's called. It's green and gold and it's the best, best reel I've ever had. And I think you sold it That's to me for... That's the Synergy 2 that I'm talking about. I That's love it. That's the Synergy 2 that I'm talking about. So I just spin yeah. it forward. It picks up all the line. Yeah, yeah. If you, if you slap that baby forward, it'll, it has beautiful pickup. It's balanced so that it just keeps spinning. It's like a gyro. Yeah, I'm, you know? I'm loving it. Hey, the other thing that I love from you guys, too, was um, I picked up some of, uh, just for fly time, 
uh, some scissors. They're kind of like, they got little tiny serrated bits in them, and they're, it's, they're bright orange scissors from Newcast. And I'll tell you what, they're the best scissors yep. I ever owned, too. Those are tungsten carbide. That's and it. the owner, the original owner of the company was a dental surgeon. And so he, he had the hookups on forceps and tools and stuff like that. Our biggest selling product is a mitten clamp. And that's a scissor, a forcep, an eye poker, everything. Everyone's knocking it off these days. But um, it's you squeeze it, and then it pops open, so you don't have to do the weird finger thing with the forcep. Okay. It's built for cold water with mitten gloves on. So you just squeeze it, and, and it releases on a ratchet system. It releases it, and then you squeeze it down again. It ratchets down three clicks to however you want, and will stay locked. Awesome. That's our best tool. If you don't have one of those, I'll send you out one. Well, I appreciate that, but how does somebody get a hold of your uh, of your Newcast stuff? Uh, www.newcast.us. On Deep Creek Outfitters, I also um, I sell Newcast products on Deep Creek Outfitters as well. Um, but yeah, their their website is newcast.us. N U C A S T U S. Now, if somebody wants to get out on the Truckee River, Pyramid Lake, and be guided by yourself. Uh, how do they go about setting that trip up? Um, it, you won't always be with me necessarily. It just kind of depends. Um, if you wanted to check Nymph, I would put you on with those guys. Our all-stars, I have a few heavy hitters. If you wanted to exclusively uh, streamer fish, I would probably take you. If you need to be on a boat on Stillwater and you want to catch 40 fish a day from a boat, I'd put you on a guide. So as an outfitter, I'm working just line up. Wherever you're at, I'll line up your lodging for you. But, yeah, I mean, you could request me personally for stuff. Uh, we have guys kind of all over, but a lot of it is outsourced. And um, one thing I've, I love about this industry that I would never change is the community and how everybody helps each other. I always thought it was a lot more uh, cutthroat, you know, no pun intended. I never thought it would be this much cutthroat, but I always thought everybody in the uh, industry would be kind of dog-eat-dog, and it's not like that. We help out a lot, and everybody pulled together. So www.deepcreekfly.com, that's how they get a hold of your company, right? Yes, sir. If you were if you were stuck with just one or two flies on your favorite water, what, what would those look like? I would fish both of them in one setup, hopper-dropper style, and it would be a size 16 classic stimulator in the front and a caddis pupa on the bottom makes sense you're covering a lot of spectrum there right yeah i can work it through different zones a lot and it's not adjustable like an indicator would be but i have plenty of time to tie on another tippet hey when you're fishing those small creeks and whatnot with the three weight how long is that rod you're fishing our three three weight rods that we're using are seven foot yeah some of the three weights that we use are seven and a half foot, and I use those depending on how windy it is that day. What are you using for uh, for dry lines with those three weights? Um, I actually use the Newcast line on all those. On the three weight stuff, I run our Newcast line. It's like thirty five bucks or thirty bucks or something. Yeah. And it's like you know, the similar to like a real gold. It's just a simple fly line with a running line in the back. How's about setup for leader on that? Well, uh, we're for the wild fish on the three weights, mostly we're running maybe eight foot at the most. I fish short leaders most of the time. So I'll do like three feet of a four X 
and then the dry fly, and then I'll do like another foot and a half of some five or six X. But lately I've been fishing heavier tippet and bigger flies and it's paying off. So what, what kind of, what kind of leader material are you using for that Terrence? I really prefer Seaguar, and since they started making uh, tippet spools, I have accounts with Rio and with Orvis, and I was using uh, Orvis Mirage for a lot of different stuff. Um, but on the still water with nymph rigs, I like to use Seaguar fluorocarbon so it's stiff and it sinks. And when I fish with dry flies, I like to use um, just a, an old school, you know, the the... Orvis Power Flex or whatever that just mount the mono. It's yep. real stretchy and it floats a lot. So and also if it's uh, really cold, if it's too cold, I won't use fluoro because it's a little more brittle. Improved clinch knot on stuff or loop knots? What are you using there? Yeah, we use loop knots on almost everything these days, um, and tag lines for the nymphs. Kind of check style, I guess. I grew up calling it high stick nymphing, but I guess now some somehow Europe claimed the whole technique of raising your arm to hold a rod i don't understand all that but um <laughs> that, that just doesn't make any sense to me but uh yeah for for nymphing and, and stuff like that uh whole whole different setup you know than with the dry flies right well and that loop knot gives it a lot more action in the water and uh with the fluorocarbon it's pretty tough to beat isn't it I, yeah, I like fluorocarbon a lot. I mean, especially when we get into the heavier pound class, when we start getting into like 12 and 16 for large fish, you know, large game with my uh, streamers and stuff like that. That's what I prefer. So Pyramid Lake? I usually am stripping on, well, just anywhere. Um, when I'm predator fishing, if we're in Oregon or California or anywhere fishing for big browns with the articulated meats, um, I'm usually running like, a three or four foot section of 20 pounds fluoro. And so I can not lose these flies that take me a half hour to tie and $13 materials. You know, I'll go swimming for that thing. I'll be like, hold this. <laughs> um, so I being able to rip that thing out of trees, which I'm, I, I fish them like jerk baits and heavy cover. So I need to be able to upgrade an oak tree with that, you know, that leader. And I can count on that every time. I'm trying to get a sponsor from them, but they won't holler back at me. What's up, Cesar? Holler at me. <laughs> Throw it out there. <laughs> hey, you know what? I, I appreciate you keeping it real and and really bringing it bringing it down to earth for me, which is kind of nice. It's refreshing. Well, I listen to all your shows, so I don't want to just keep giving you the same thing that you're getting. No, I. You know. That's awesome, man. I, I really appreciate it. And, and I listen, like that, anyways. Yeah. I hope we get to fish and hang out, bro, because and vice versa. I'd like to go up there, and you got to come down here because uh, we're a hoot. And I, some stuff I want to tell you about, you know, what the wildest thing that's happened with fly fishing, I don't think I want it to be recorded. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I get we that. Get, we get pretty wild. Well, you got my number. You get up in this uh, in this side of the border, and we'll we'll chase some big fish. Absolutely. I'd love to get in some bull trout and some big browns up there. All right, that's TNT, Terrence Tanucci from uh, Deep Creek Outfitters, Newcast. Thanks so much for joining us, man. Really appreciate it. Hey, thank you. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or a topic you would like to hear on the show. Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water.